podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to the jury room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, These stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. In early August 2016, the working-class suburb of Craigmore in Adelaide, South Australia, was nearing the end of its winter season. Chilly temperatures and heavy rain kept most residents inside their homes, especially older people like 81-year-old Robert Whitwell. Robert lived a comfortable life in the Craigmore neighborhood, He was retired, his house was paid for, and he had substantial life savings. Though much of his large family lived halfway across the continent in Queensland, they still visited him regularly. Most of his fellow suburbanites touted that he was a great neighbor, cheerful, helpful, and polite. Many described him as a gentleman, with a kind and generous soul. The elderly man maintained a relatively regular daily routine. His wife, Joyce, was ailing from dementia and lived in a nearby nursing home. Rain or shine, Robert paid daily visits to his sweetheart, whom he called his queen. Keeping the house tidy inside and out also landed high on his priority list. So when the newspapers began piling up in his driveway, people living next door noticed almost immediately. On August 8th, 2016, a few concerned neighbors decided to do a welfare check on Robert. Inside the house, they discovered what looked like the scene of a burglary. The contents of Robert's home had been thrown about during an obvious ransacking. In the kitchen, They found the lifeless body of Robert Whitwell. He had been stabbed to death in the neck and chest, except for a small inconsequential bandage that had been applied to one of Robert's wounds. He was left to bleed out while sitting in a dining chair. Police were baffled by the scene, even though it was apparent someone had rooted through the house. Nothing appeared to be missing. Robert's laptop computer was even sitting open on the sofa. Why would someone target this beloved older man on the surface? There seemed to be very little inside the house that would have indicated such a brutal crime. But after talking to Robert's daughter, Tanya Dwyer, they discovered Robert kept his life savings of over $100,000 squirreled away in his backyard shed. If a thief found out about the pile of money in Robert's backyard, that would certainly be enough motive to kill the uncooperative old man. The question was, who else knew it was there? Tanya had an answer to that too. A few months before his murder, Robert had told Tanya about the large sum of cash he kept hidden on his property. She warned him 
that keeping that amount of money on hand was very dangerous. What if the wrong people found out? He laughed and said, Who's going to know? Police asked Tanya if she was the only one privy to that conversation. Tanya told them there was only one other person in the room that day. Her teenage daughter, Brittany. This is the case of Brittany Dwyer and the murder of Robert Whitwell. Brittany J. Dwyer was 19 years old when her grandfather's body was found stabbed to death inside his southern Australia home. The family had been close. They all affectionately called Robert Whitwell Papa. News that he had died devastated them. Once Adelaide police notified Tanya of Robert's death, she called her two children, Brittany and Brittany's older brother, 23-year-old Ryan. She asked them to meet her at the airport so the three of them could catch the next plane to Adelaide. The city of Adelaide is located in southern Australia, a full 2,000 kilometers away from where the Dwyers lived in Queensland. The trip takes about three hours by plane and a total of 24 hours of straight driving. If you drove eight hours per day, it would take you three days to get there. Once the Dwyers arrived in Adelaide, they went straight to Robert's home, where they joined the rest of the family, who came to mourn Robert and get answers from investigators. According to her brother, Brittany started sobbing at the door and collapsed over the threshold. Brittany was so distraught, her mother, Tanya had to support her weight with her own body to get her through the door. Brittany's distress touched the hearts of her other relatives. Robert had cared deeply for all of his grandchildren, but especially for Brittany, and the young woman clearly felt the same way. The police told the family that the evidence at the crime scene presented them with three viable options for what could have happened to Robert. Suicide, an accident, or breaking and entering gone wrong. The family had difficulty believing it could have been a murder. Who would want to stab an old man to death, especially a person as kind and gentle as Robert? A few days later, Ryan Dwyer turned 24. Knowing their papa would have wanted them to celebrate, the family decided to go to one of Robert's favorite restaurants and toast to his life. There are pictures of this evening showing Ryan and the rest of the family enjoying themselves despite the grim circumstances surrounding Robert's death. One candid photo shows Brittany and Ryan looking sheepishly at the camera with coy smiles on their face as if they had just shared an inside joke. For three weeks, the family grieved together and waited for answers. But as the investigation wore on, some of them had no choice but to return to their homes and wait for news. Back in Queensland, Ryan was going about his daily life when he got a phone call from a cousin in Adelaide. He could hear his mother crying in the background. The cousin was calling to tell him that Brittany 
his younger sister, had just been arrested for the murder of their grandfather, as had two of her friends, Bernadette Burns and Shelby Holmes. At first, he couldn't believe it. This was his sister they were talking about. He had grown up with her. He knew her better than anyone. Brittany couldn't have possibly done something this horrible. Then, in late September, Brittany pleaded guilty to murdering her grandfather before the Adelaide Magistrate's Court, sending the entire family into a downward spiral. Where had they gone wrong? What had happened to their sweet Brittany? The grandchild Robert Whitwell called his girl. Brittany Dwyer grew up with her parents and older brother in Brisbane, Queensland, near the Gold Coast. Brittany's mother, Tanya, described her daughter as a tomboy type with an adventurous spirit and playful disposition. Five years younger than her brother, Brittany was the baby of her family. She was doted on by all, especially her maternal grandfather, Robert. Brittany's brother, Ryan, recalled childhood trips to the zoo with their grandfather, where he showered his grandchildren with affection. The family remained close, but Brittany's personality changed when she went to high school. Like most adolescents, Brittany didn't feel like she fit in with the other kids her age. As a coping mechanism, she began lashing out at her classmates and bullying them. In retaliation, they bullied her back, which further ostracized her. Lonely and withdrawn, Brittany began to self-harm, use drugs, and seek out other troubled people as friends. Brittany befriended a fellow outcast named Shelby Holmes, and when they turned 18, they moved out of their parents' houses and into a shared flat in Brisbane. Brittany maintains that the two were actually romantic partners, but Shelby denies this and insists they were just best friends who bonded over the macabre. The pair found common ground with their interest in all things morbid, including late-night visits to cemeteries, knives, and gore. They also loved the American TV show American Horror Story. Allegedly, it's this last item that inspired them to concoct the gruesome plan that ended in Robert Whitwell's murder. Shortly after learning that her grandfather kept 100k in his back garden, Brittany began scheming with her girlfriend Shelby about how to get their hands on his cash. Like most teenagers looking to do something shady, they were woefully ill-equipped to execute the deed. On April 30th, 2016, four months before Robert Whitwell's murder, the two women drove 2,000 kilometers from Brisbane to Adelaide and began casing Brittany's grandfather's house. They planned to nab 30,000 from Robert's hidden nest egg. Shelby got out of the car and started walking up and down the block to get her bearings of the neighborhood. As she made her way past Robert's home, he happened to be outside. He waved at her and said hello. Shelby immediately fired off a text message to Brittany, who was waiting nearby. She wrote, 
He said hi to me. He's lovely. Brittany responded, Don't get attached to him. He might have to die. Once Robert Whitwell left his home for an errand, the two women used a milk carton to climb over his fence into his backyard. It must have been dark because a security light flickered on and a neighbor's dog began to bark, sufficiently spooking the women. They fled the scene without the cash. Their first robbery attempt was a miserable failure. And with Mother's Day weekend looming, the two women had little time to waste. They drove straight back to Queensland, where Brittany joined her mother, Tanya, and brother, Ryan. For a Mother's Day brunch on May 8th, Ryan recalled Brittany looked like she hadn't slept in days, and his mother was peeved that she didn't make more of an effort with her appearance for the occasion. Brittany waited another three months before trying to rob her grandfather for the second time. In early August, she hit the road again, but this time, her partner in crime was a 22-year-old woman named Bernadette Burns, a friend of both Brittany Dwyer and Shelby Holmes. Burns was reportedly a heavy drug user who was spiraling out of control after losing custody of her young daughter. The pair drove from Brisbane to Adelaide and arrived at 11 a.m. on August 6th. Brittany parked in front of her grandfather's house and left Burns in the car outside to do her makeup. Robert Whitwell was reportedly ecstatic to see his granddaughter and welcomed her inside. They spent a while on the couch looking through a digital collection of old family photos on his laptop. Brittany sat next to her grandfather as he reminisced over their joyous times together as a family. All the while, she had gloves and a knife in her pocket and was mentally preparing to kill him. But the walk down memory lane did cause Brittany to grapple with her violent plan momentarily. She sent a text to Burns in the car saying she didn't think she could go through with the murder. Burns callously replied that she needed to harden up and just get it over with. The visit was coming to an end. Robert walked his granddaughter to the front door, but just as he was about to let her out, Brittany took out her knife and plunged it into his neck. She stabbed him a total of four times in the neck and chest. Robert was shocked. Brittany told police all he could manage to say was, why, before he stumbled into his kitchen to look for a bandage. And now, for a quick break. The Needcast, your source for offbeat news. Marauding monkeys bring fear to historic Indian tourist haven these monkeys have gotten aggressive. Anytime you hold a package in their hand, they'll come up and they'll snatch it from you. Like gang members, like take your oh chain. Oh my God. Hot takes on sports. Drew Brees is a legend, how dare you? He is, but he's done. No he's not, you pardoned him. He's coming back. <laughs> he wants to pardon Drew Brees, I want to throw him in prison. And deep dives into the paranormal. The uh, Loveland Frogman. At approximately 3.30 a.m., an unnamed businessman are the most credible witness maybe you can find. <laughs> unnamed <laughs> I was just doing business when I saw a frogman. 
Join us every Monday and let's talk some bullshit. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Now, back to the show. In a bizarre twist, Brittany followed him there and helped him apply a Band-Aid to his neck. Then, she sat him down in a kitchen chair and started doing the dishes he had left in the sink. It's unknown what was going through Robert's mind at this point. Did he know he was dying from blood loss? Did he beg his granddaughter to call an ambulance? We don't know for sure. What we do know is, Robert stayed in that chair until he bled to death. Once she was sure he was dead, Brittany sent a text to Burns, and the two women tore through Robert's house looking for the money. They went through the shed, but Robert had hidden his life savings well in a secret drawer. They ended up with only $1,000 in cash and two digital cameras. Before the day was done, they were back on the road, headed for Queensland. Two days later, Tanya Dwyer got a call from the Adelaide police informing her that her father, Robert Whitwell, was dead. He had stab wounds, they told her, but the reasoning behind the death was still unclear. Distraught, Tanya immediately called her children to deliver the terrible news. Unbeknownst to Tanya, Brittany answered the call while she was still on her return road trip from murdering her grandfather. Allegedly, Brittany began wailing when Tanya told her that Robert was dead. That was when Brittany's charade began. Brittany spent the next three weeks in the loving embrace of her family as they comforted each other. She was incredibly convincing. To her family's shock and horror, they soon learned they had been consoling Robert's murderer. Police received an anonymous tip that Brittany Dwyer, Bernadette Burns, and Shelby Holmes were involved in what happened to Robert Whitwell. By the end of August, all three were arrested by Queensland authorities and extradited back to Adelaide to face criminal charges of trespassing and murder. At first, Brittany's family had no answers, only shock. At Robert's funeral, several days after the arrests, the family scrubbed all mention of Brittany from the eulogy because no one knew what to think or how to handle the news. But as the details of the crime emerged, shock turned into disgust, anger, and rage. Shelby Holmes, who was 19 at the time of her arrest, appeared first before the Adelaide Magistrate Court in the middle of September 2016 to apply for bail. She had only been charged with aggravated trespassing for her role in the May 2nd attempted robbery of Robert's home. She testified about the text message in which Brittany told Shelby not to get attached to her homely grandfather because he might have to die. Within 24 hours of Shelby's court appearance, Brittany pleaded guilty to the murder. Perhaps Shelby's testimony made Brittany realize she had no way out. Bernadette Burns held out on entering a guilty plea, however, 
and in December 2016, her lawyer was still trying to get the court to grant her bail due to lack of critical evidence against her. The court dragged their feet, though. For one, Bernadette Burns was from Tasmania, and her parents still resided there. If they let her out of jail, there was a good chance she would flee Australia and avoid justice. Her bail was ultimately denied, and she stayed behind bars as the police continued to review thousands of text messages from the phones of Brittany, Shelby, and Burns. Police ended up analyzing over 19,000 text messages from the previous two years. Snippets released to the press indicated there were messages sent between the women about wanting to kill people at rave parties and slitting throats. Shelby Holmes said in a TV interview following the case that these messages were just a joke, but no one was laughing. All three women were sentenced in mid-2017 for their respective roles in the murder. In July 2017, Shelby Holmes was given a 17-month sentence, nine months of which was deferred for criminal trespassing. That sentence was suspended on the condition that she maintained good behavior for the next three years. In order to avoid a longer prison sentence, Bernadette Burns eventually pleaded guilty to statutory murder charge which meant she admitted to committing the robbery, which led to murder, but she didn't intend to commit murder at the outset of the crime. It's a charge that would be akin to manslaughter in America. Burns was sentenced to life in prison. She'll be eligible for parole after 13 and a half years. Brittany Dwyer, the ringleader and ultimate orchestrator of the crime, tried everything she could to shift the blame away from herself leading up to her sentencing. At first, she said the show American Horror Story was to blame. Her lawyer told the court that the television show had influenced her obsession with violence and ultimately led her to commit the murder. The judge, Justice Kevin Nicholson, wasn't buying it, however and said the only mitigating factor during the sentencing phase was her age. When that didn't work, she told a psychiatrist that she was experiencing formally repressed memories of her grandfather sexually abusing her as a child. The prosecutor, Jim Pierce, responded to Brittany's claim with disgust. In my submission, the court would be entitled to infer, with the absence of evidence from Ms. Dwyer about this, that is just simply an invention designed to give her an explanation for why she acted as she did. The court rejected this as a viable explanation for the murder because it simply looked like an 11th hour Hail Mary attempt for Brittany to get a lighter sentence. Justice Kevin Nicholson told Brittany in court, it is not possible to adequately summarize the distress and profound anguish. You failed to see or accept the enormity and adherent wrongfulness of what you were planning. The court also heard victim impact statements from Brittany's family 
prior to her sentencing, Jeffrey Whitwell, one of Robert's brothers, delivered a scathing statement to Brittany. He said, quote, I will never forgive you. You are a cruel, deceitful person with no regard for human life. I believe you are dangerous and evil and deserve the highest penalty. Both of Brittany's parents also spoke in court. Her mother, Tanya, said she had the perfect, happy life before Brittany's crime destroyed everything. Brittany's father, Gary, said that Robert Whitwell had been a great man and encouraged the court to deliver an appropriate sentence in the case. In the end, because Brittany pleaded guilty and cooperated with police early on in the investigation, the judge sentenced her to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 21 years. She will be eligible for release when she's 41 years old. How does a family continue on in the face of so much hurt, anger, violence, and deception? The case ultimately destroyed Brittany's family. Following the news of Robert's death, his elderly wife, Joyce, passed away. Brittany's parents, Tanya and Gary, have now separated. The stress and anguish brought on by the realization that their daughter committed a heinous crime was enough to crumble their two-decade marriage. But in spite of the damage that's been done, Robert Whitwell's surviving relatives still find comfort and hope for the future by remembering the way he lived his life. His brother Jeffrey Whitwell was quoted as saying, You couldn't get a better brother. He was truly a real gentleman. I don't think he ever had an argument with anybody ever in his life. He always helped everybody whenever he could. And he always tried to do the right thing. In a heartfelt piece for That's Life magazine, Brittany's brother Ryan Dwyer said of his grandfather, quote, he lived for his family and I will spend the rest of my days making him proud. Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been the jury room.